Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. In October, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, released its annual Digital Health Most Wired survey, which recognizes outstanding healthcare organizations that have leveraged the power of digital technology. Over 36,000 healthcare organizations participated in this year's survey, which scores each each participant on their use of digital. This year, the number of participants increased by 20%, which reflects the impact the impact the impact the pandemic has had on propelling the use of digital technology in the healthcare space. With that increase, however, comes more risks, specifically regarding security and privacy. But Chime has also surveyed chief information security officers about security risks they experienced during the pandemic. It is therefore timely that today we have David Finn, the new VP of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives or Chime, to talk with us today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Walbright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy, that's W-E-D-I, Weedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. So let me tell you a bit more about our guest. David Finn has over three decades in planning and management of IT and business processes. He was most recently EVP of External Affairs, Information Systems, and Security at Synergis Tech. David had previously served as the health information technology officer at Symantec, the world's largest security company. Prior to Symantec, David was the CIO of Texas Children's Hospital, one of the largest pediatric IDNs in the United States. Finn is also a prolific industry speaker and has published numerous articles and papers. And David was appointed VP of Chime in October of this year. And in that position, David will lead the expansion of Chime's three professional associations. David, so very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Thank you. It is my pleasure. We, we are talking about my favorite topics today, healthcare and security. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, so tell us a little bit about that. I, I, I mean, I think maybe some students going through college, uh, graduate school, they're thinking, hey, I want to get into information security because it's a hot topic. There's lots of jobs. Uh, but you've been in this position or you've been in the general area for three decades. How did you get pulled into health, healthcare IT or healthcare IT security? <laughs> That is a great question. I, I like to say I'm a recovering CIO, uh, but I, <laughs> I moved into the recovering CIO role from an audit and, and uh, compliance perspective. I was a privacy and security officer, not within the IT function originally, but in audit and compliance. And we had one of those bad days uh, when the, the bad guys won and I, I like to say I got a field promotion over to uh, IT uh, and became the CIO. Uh, CIO was never on my career path. I, I come from an audit and compliance and controls perspective. So it was, it was very interesting to have the operations now thrust in your lap. And you do learn that it's a really a balancing act. It was interesting. I, I was the privacy officer, the security officer, and the CIO at Texas Children's, and people would 
come into my office and say, I need to talk to you. And I say, well, do you need to talk to the privacy officer, the security officer, the CIO? Because you're going to get a different answer depending on who you need to talk to. But we all have to learn to juggle those things and keep care going and, and keep the hospital running while still addressing the issues around privacy and security. And that's the balance in healthcare we have struggled with for many years now. Right. And something that was striking and and certainly sounds deliberate on your part when you described how you came to be in this area was the the battle terminology, the battleground and war terminology. Are are we in a battle here? Are we at a war? Uh, In terms of cybersecurity today, and I used to eschew that that language, but I, I think the tide has turned. And really, since COVID, when you see the attacks on healthcare. They're very targeted. They're nation states. When you see the value of that healthcare data and, and the value of disrupting a healthcare provider for the bad guys, I, I think I'm comfortable saying we're, we're at war. They, they are after us. They've attacked the supply chain. They've attacked vaccines. And, and that changes the game. It, it's time for healthcare to get serious about this in a way they really haven't and recognized that their business runs on data. Yeah, and again, what's striking about what you just said is, is uh, along with wars, th- there are real casualties with this. Uh, you said they're attacking our vaccines. They're attacking hospital health systems that may be shut down and, and patients will die as a cause of, as a result of this. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the findings in the, in the uh, CISO survey we conducted is that only a third of our CISO said they hadn't been attacked. And uh, 10%, uh, 30% said they'd had an EHR outage. Uh, 15% of our respondents said they had a patient safety issue tied to a cyber event. And and 10% experienced the need to divert patients. And you are exactly right, Matthew. We are talking about lives now. So was that, and, and one of those categories you just mentioned, one of the, the survey uh, results was safety issues uh, uh, related to or connected to a security issue. Uh, is that what we're talking about? Is that a we, euphemism for patients that, at risk? That, that is absolutely correct. When you, you pass from uh, shutting the, the, the billing down to shutting down the cardiac cath lab and you can't, you can't take care of a patient or you have to shut down the ER because you can't bring an emergency patient in, there's no access to, to charts or records or even, even the ability to, to admit a patient uh, manually, uh, that we are talking about patient care, patient safety and the quality of care for all the patients that may already be in-house. Right, right. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about the survey. Uh, what was the scope? Uh, what 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 period did it cover? How many did you? Uh, how many CISOs did you reach out to? Bit bit more about the background. There. It it was it's an interesting survey, uh, and it really came about with with Chime, which is our CIO members, and AHIS, and and everyone has a different perspective on security within the organization. So we, we decided to go directly to the CISOs, and AHIS, the Security Association under CHIME, has about 900 members. So these are practitioners in the field uh, that went out to them. We had a pretty good response rate, but the intent of the survey was to look at what was happening in healthcare between September 20 
in September 2021. And, and so, you know, that's a year. It was the height in, of, of COVID. And we asked organizations what they were seeing, what had happened. You saw some of the impacts there on healthcare. Uh, we identified some of the common uh, security exploits that were being used. Uh, and you, just as you would expect, phishing and email compromise, uh, typical malware, ransomware, and, and everyone during that period was seeing the hospital shut down and, and the lockdowns. Uh, hacking uh, got bigger and bigger. And, and uh, last but not least, insider threats are still uh, among the top issues in healthcare. The interesting thing that emerged from our CISO study was the emerging threats, the things they hadn't seen in the past that they started to see during COVID, or they may have seen it once or twice prior to COVID, and now we're seeing it on a regular basis. And that was IoT and connected devices. People were coming in through uh, internet and operational IT, not using uh, you know, typically the computers or the servers on the network. Uh, we had an increased workforce. And so people were coming in through people who machines who had been sent home. They were using a personal machine coming back to the hospital's resources. And, and the CISO either didn't have the ability or the, the uh, authority to invoke those controls or it rolled out so fast that it just had to be done. And, and I understand that sometimes you have to do things fast and fix it in the mix, but things are catching up and things get missed when you do them too fast. The other real pivot we saw, and I think it was across all sectors, Matthew, but in healthcare, it really became critical. And that was the supply chain. And it started out in the early days with, with PPE not being available or fraud in the PPE market. So a hospital buys 10,000 uh, N95 masks and what arrives are not uh, certified N95s. And now they have to start over, uh, you know, that kind of fraud along the supply chain, as well as using the access they had, because some organizations had to open up more to keep supplies flowing. We also are seeing in the middle of COVID, of course, we got the interoperability rule. So we're seeing more third-party consumer health apps. And while interoperability addressed data standards, there were no security requirements around it. And, and that is beginning to catch up and, and will be a nightmare. And, and that issue is really a simple API security, which which consumers don't really think about. They don't think about their apps on the phone and the fact that those apps are talking to the operating system and the operating system is talking to other apps that they may or may not know are having communications with their fitness or EHR application. So a lot of new things coming down the pike as a result of COVID. Uh, 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 very, very interesting. Let me, let me uh, pause on some of the terms you use there and maybe dive down to what they mean in a practical sense. Uh, insider threats, you mentioned uh, early on, and it sounds like that's that's been a common threat uh, for a number of years. Are the insider threats 
um, uh, some of what you're, you know, the phishing where, where the, the internally internal staff will click on a link or, or do something, uh, not by mistake, but thinking it's, uh, uh, meaning something else, or are we talking something else there? Yeah, we're really talking about an employee or someone who has access inside to the organization. And what we saw during COVID at, at the height of it was a lot of hospitals had to bring in visiting nurses or visiting physicians who obviously had to have access to the, the EHR and clinical systems, and they got that, but, but then they went back home or, or they wound up sharing a user ID or password to another system that they didn't have access to. And, and so you all of a sudden had insiders who were, who were not regulated, and, and the bad guys were using those user IDs, those passwords, to get to things like the email and then start that from the inside. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a twofold approach. There's, there's outside hackers coming in using email, but there's also inside insider controls that got a little bit out of hand because of, of the changes in our care delivery model and the changes in, in visiting clinicians who are coming to a site in an emergent situation. Right, right. Um, so uh, you, you mentioned two uh, emerging risks uh, or threats, the connected devices and the interoperability uh, third-party apps. Um, we've talked about those uh, with different speakers, uh, experts through the last couple of years here on that show, but we actually haven't had the data. Uh, some of it's been kind of theoretical, like, oh, we think that interoperability third-party apps may be a security risk. Uh, and, and, and that's uh, forthcoming. And the same with the connected devices. Um, but I think what you, you're looking at is really some data, at least from the CISOs, that, that this is really happening out there on, on, a, on a broad scale and it's, it's emerging forward. Would you agree with that? And then maybe the second part is, what do we do with this information now that we actually have data that some of these emerging risks are not just you know, nightmares that we thought of a couple of years ago? Absolutely. And the CISOs are now telling us, and, and that's kind of a change because even those many years ago when I was a, a CIO and a security officer and a healthcare provider, we would see those and they were considered anomalous things. I talked to my peers at other hospitals. And for instance, I recall, this is many years ago now, uh, bad guys came in, they, they came in across the network and they were looking for the, uh, for the, uh, the treasury systems, the financial systems, but in their way to those treasury systems on the network, uh, and networks were less sophisticated then as well, they, they weren't as segmented and micro-segmented, they ran into the uh, monitoring service for the heart monitors for in-house cardiac patients. And they, uh, you know, there's a hard way and an easy way to do things, and the bad guys just blew that server up now, we don't know what happened. The court records were sealed. There was a court case in that incident. But, but the bad thing happened because a bad guy came in and shut down a server that shouldn't have been shut down, and no one knew it was going to be shut down. So I, I think this is not brand new, but we are certainly seeing it more and more frequently now. Uh, the IoT devices and medical devices in particular are, are problematic, have been for a long time, but we keep putting more legacy devices on the network. We keep putting more new devices without the controls, without the uh, virus protection 
that, that they really need to have, or even, even the security. Often these medical devices have crippled or, 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 you know, not full operating system. So you can't turn on the full functionality that you would on a laptop or, or a PC uh, on, on the desk or certainly a server. So I, I think we are beginning to see this and the bad guys have caught up with that. We're making progress in the, in the sector, but in, in healthcare with the medical devices, it's almost two problems. There's the new stuff you're bringing in you have a good shot of getting some controls and, and things built into that. But there's tens of millions of legacy systems already deployed that may be running uh, an old Windows version. We, we occasionally still see DOS out there. And they're just almost impossible to protect on, on, a, on a modern network today. It's really, you know, what's striking about this is so many times on this show, we talk about the upcoming regulations and the compliance, and we've got a No Surprises Act, a tremendous amount of pressure on providers and health systems, and, and it's coming at a bad time where uh, they're, they, they have to look to replace these legacy systems as well, just for security reasons, to keep the, keep the lights on. Yeah, and that was, uh, that's interesting, and it came out in this survey that providers really need more support. The, the Biden administration has been very active in upping the infrastructure security for all the critical sectors, but they forget that healthcare is, is already behind. They're not even starting with the other 15 sectors. And, and, and our discussion of medical devices reminds me, I was on the HHS Cybersecurity Task Force, which was part of the 405, the CISA Act, Section 405, and we provided a report to Congress. And one of the things we raised was a, was a cash for clunkers uh, possibility for old medical devices. And it, it's so massive, I'm not sure you could even make a dent in it. But we do have to recognize that there's a, a legacy medical device problem. And, and the stuff going forward is going to be easier. We, we put those things in place. They're talking about the S-bomb for, for new medical devices. They're using newer medicals, uh, medical technology and newer network technology on these devices, but we still have all those sitting out there that are on the network and, and they really can't be managed or, or controlled or monitored in a real-time basis. Yeah, I, I love that idea of cash for clunkers, right? Because it's the same concept with <laughs> automobiles. You want to get those things off the road because they just become <laughs> dangers and downstream consequences are too much. Yeah, we, we did it for the cars. We thought, let's do it for the medical devices. So that's a great idea. Uh, and uh, your, your results from this survey also are somewhat related to uh, what you found with the Digital Health Most Wired survey. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what that survey was about? Yeah, the Most Wired survey is an interesting project that, that, that came under CHIME several years ago. It was actually started by the American Hospital Association, and it was looking at the use of technology in, in the provider space. So uh, the American Hospital Association, of course, had a, a certain spin on it because their focus is the hospitals. But from, from CHIME's perspective, it really became about information technology and all the components that follow under that. You've got the information. So we look at things like uh, value-based care, population health management, opioid management, the things that CIOs and CMIOs and chief nursing information officers are looking at, as well as patient engagement, because we know we're going to have to involve the patients in digital health. 
And, and then because all this uh, has to ride on, on networks uh, at the hospital or other places and the internet often, uh, we, we carve out a section focused on security as well. So uh, typically the CIO at a hospital gets this survey and it's a pretty big uh, slice of, of uh, things to look at and they divvy it up. And so they can assign those sections to the appropriate executive or leader in their organization. So uh, it is interesting. The, the one thing we compare to our survey we've just been talking about, if you're applying for most wired, it probably means you have some kind of security program already in place. You've reached some level of maturity our, our initial survey uh, that we were talking about is really all of our members. And so some of those are rural or hospitals. Some of those are very small practices. And, and you begin to see the disparity when you look at what uh, the smaller providers, the rural providers, critical access facilities have versus, say, a large uh, academic medical center or a large health system that has 20 50, 100 hospitals in it. And, and, and the problem in healthcare, and I probably don't need to tell you this, Matthew, is we are a hyper-connected sector. So a single practice physician may be sending or getting information from three or four different hospitals. Every insurer in the country is sharing or getting information from from it could be any provider. And so because of those issues around sharing and connectivity, and now with interoperability, it may be every wellness app that's running on any consumer's phone, we, we have to raise the, the level here for everyone in the sector. And that's, that's kind of why we built security in the most wired. You can be doing wonderful things in your hospital and with your patients, but if you haven't addressed security, you're not really meeting the needs of a digital health provider in today's world. So I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm trying try to process some of the things you said. When, you, when you're describing, you know, we're all connected. I have this concept of a web Right. And, and it's all connected where if part of the web gets pulled down, say if there was security breach, then it's going to pull down other things as well. Right. And, and so I think that's what you're talking about. So then what are those disparities then? And I know some of them may be obvious to us, but what's the disparities between the rural or the critical access and the, and the big urban? Yeah. And, and, and I, you're exactly right. And many of us experienced that with the AWS outage yesterday, that it's the downside of everyone being connected. Uh, we all share together, but we share the downtime too sometimes with, with cloud-based architectures. And, and you're exactly right. And, and one of the problems is uh, healthcare lags. Uh, a CISO at, uh, at AWS, for example, I'm guessing is making more money than a CISO at a, even a large hospital in, in an urban area. We have a hard time competing for those resources on salary if we can even get them. But when you move out into a rural setting or a physician practice, they, they simply don't have the, uh, the, the resources, the people, the money, or the time to dedicate to security. And so they're going to be looking to you know, other organizations that they're working with to, to connect to, to help them with their security piece. With interoperability, I think hospitals are going to have to step up and do some of the education and training with their patients 
around security and privacy on their own cell phones. And we are beginning to see some of that uh, uptake in the, in the market because, you know, the, the providers want to be able to share their information. They're required now to, but, but you don't want to share it if you know it's going to go missing or be misused or be fall into the wrong hands accidentally or intentionally. So uh, I think we're going to see a, a, a great leveling here uh, across uh, the organizations of, of regardless of size or type or location and resources. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said. You know, we, we think about it, uh, sometimes it's the hospital's problem or the plan's problem, but um, the more we move into, move into interoperability, it, it's, it's going to be the patient's problem, right? Uh, because the patient are now getting much more responsibility over their own records, and they also have the quick ability, like you say, to press the yes button for a third-party app that they can get for free that tells them they're going to organize their health records some way, right? Um, so, so tell us a little bit about that. What, what kind of outreach are we doing, seeing for patients, and, and how is your organization thinking about that? One, one of the things we're pushing on from, from the provider side is getting CISOs, if they get one of those requests, to ask the, the, the application developer or provider you know, what they're doing and how they protect it. Uh, we're, we've actually started to see a good number of providers run you know, we've all heard of penetration testing, uh, but we're now seeing API security testing, which is very similar. We're seeing a number of providers running API security testing on, on all their APIs, whether they've written them in-house or whether they be, they're being used by the finance department or their clinical apps. And, and the problem with the APIs is, is we get the benefit of any change when the developer makes it, that we love that. But when they make those changes, they don't always test uh, the end-to-end -end app again. They make a change in a data field or they, they extend the data field, and they don't, they don't go back and test the security, for example, or the privacy, or see if uh, Facebook has changed who they talk to on the back end of your Apple device. And, and, and some of that isn't their problem, but uh, the hospital's the one who's got to protect the patient ultimately, and the patient needs to understand what they're doing. But, but this is where the API security testing uh, on an ongoing basis comes in. Most big organizations wouldn't think of not doing penetration testing, internal and external. But it's time as we use these APIs, particularly with with very limited security requirements that we understand what they're doing on a regular basis. And we are starting to see providers begin to focus on that. Very good. Um, before we leave the digital health most wired survey, um, you had a few, I won't call them winners, but very high scores. You gave tens to uh, a number of health systems in the country. What's the, what differentiates the tens uh, from those that didn't get tens? What's the, what's the differentiators there? It, it, it is a maturity, and, and everyone does their risk assessments every year. We, we've gotten into that habit. What organizations don't realize is they need to do maturity assessments as well. So you can be doing uh, everything right in terms of documentation, but you have to make sure that the whole program is, is keeping up together. 
We, we measure a lot of things for most wired. Security is one part of those. And so what we see uh, among those top scorers is all the programs are progressing together because it would be easy to add a lot of population health uh, work and, and maybe even social determinants of care and you're getting information from other providers. Uh, you may be getting it from the fire department and, and looking at ambulance runs. You may be looking at what people are getting from food banks, but you have to do that securely. And so if you're accelerating a program around data that you're bringing in or sending out, but you're not including security, it, it's going to trip you up. And what we see are the big, the big scores, the top tier are doing that all in lockstep. And that really is the magic of not only digital health, but, but of security, you have to do it all together, whether it's your people or your processes or your technology, you have to keep them in step. And, and that is not a trivial effort, effort in, a, in a hospital today, but, but you have to keep things in line and moving forward together. Yeah, very good, very good. So, uh, uh, David, uh, on all this discussion about security, I'm not sure whether uh, we should come across, come away from this discussion of being hopeful because we look like there's there's things and the seasons are coming together. They're they're thinking of solutions or or nervousness that we still have a, a aging infrastructure in in many of our. Uh, uh, parts of our health system. So uh, talk to, to us a bit about what, what do you see in the next five to 10 years? Uh, are you hopeful, uh, aspirational? Uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I've been working in the security space in healthcare for almost 40 years. And sometimes I feel like I've been pounding my head against a brick wall, but, but I am hopeful. And last week, I can tell you that the 405D working group and task group uh, launched a new website. It is focused on their health information, cybersecurity best practice. And, and it is designed for uh, large organizations. It's based on the NIST CSF, but it is also targeted. And you can go in and when you look at the resources, it'll tell you this is for a small practice. This is for a small healthcare organization or a large. And, and, and like I said, we've got to raise the boat for everyone. So we are starting to get the word out. There's a place to go if you have a, a CISO or if you don't. Uh, there's a place to go if you have, uh, you know, someone dedicated or a team dedicated full-time to security or someone in IT who does the uh, PC images, but they also have to do security because it's a small organization. So there's a place to go. And that stuff is not written in uh, technical jargon or cyber speak. It's accessible to anyone who works in healthcare today. It explains the cyber risk, but more importantly, it explains the, the operational risk and the enterprise risk. Because when IT goes down, it, it isn't IT that's most affected. Uh, they have plenty of work when IT goes down. It, it's the ability to get to the medical record, to, to admit to patients, to bill patients. And so those are the people who need to be concerned that systems are up or down and, and they're working properly and, and no one's gotten into them. So that I think that's uh, very uh We've struggled with the haves and have-nots in this space. We're beginning to get over that. Uh, the, the big guys are helping the little guys. The little guys are getting a better understanding, and, and everyone will benefit from that across the whole sector. 
Uh, that's that's terrific. And and we'll we'll certainly have this in the notes to the show. But can you tell us where to find that again? Those those best business practices. Yeah, it's it's HICP. If you just Google the four hundred five D working group or four hundred five D HICP. It, it will take you right to the link to get there, but but we we will we can add the link for you for your our listeners. Very good. And and as we're as we're closing out here, uh, any other uh, resources to point to? And you know we didn't talk much about Chime, but you want to describe Chime a little bit and your role there, and maybe any resources that Chime might have. Absolutely. Chime was like coming home for me because as a CIO, I was a CIO member of Chime. This is back in the early 2000s. And it it is just a place designed to raise the professional level, not necessarily your technical skills, but we have to be uh, healthcare leaders uh, first and foremost, and then we'll fall into our specialties, whether it's IT or security or, or technology. Uh, and so Chime was that place for CIOs. And about five, six years ago, the CIOs started saying, you know, I can't know everything anymore. I need a group like this for my chief technology officer or for my CISO. And so these uh, associations were born out of that need to help CISOs not only understand the security issues, but to, uh, to enhance their personal and professional development and become an executive to speak the business talk and to speak security in terms of the business, which is the only way we'll get those CEOs and CFOs to, to buy into those. And so they, they have been growing for, uh, for some time. They're not, uh, Chime will turn 30 next year. Uh, we're we're not quite there, but we are growing organizations, and I think our members see the value based on the growth, uh, as well as for the foundation firms, the vendor members who want the opportunity, not just to sell something to someone, but to actually interact and understand some of those nuances unique to the sector that they need to address in their services and products. Very good. Well, uh, thank you, David. And I'll just add to those resources, uh, Weedy, uh, if you've enjoyed some of the topics that David's talked about today, Weedy's having their own spotlight in privacy and security on January 13th and 14th. Uh, go to weedy.org to register, and we'll probably talk about many of these uh, topics. So thank you, uh, David. This has been a great discussion. Thank you. Always my pleasure. Very good. We've been talking with David Finn, VP of Chime. Uh, And this has been the Collective Voices of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.